0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, well, good morning again to you. Oh, yeah, fantastic. Wow, nobody said good morning back. Good morning. <laughs> you said good morning to Jessica when she said that. Uh, we took some time over the course of the summer, if you were with us over the course of the summer, uh, during our Sunday mornings to kind of walk together together through the Ten Commandments, uh, just to consider some of what those Ten Commandments have to say about how God wants you and how God wants me to live in this world as kingdom people. And so what we're going to do for the next several weeks is we're going to walk together for the next several weeks, weeks through the first several chapters of the book of Acts, just to look and see what it looked like when the very first followers of Jesus decided to do exactly that. How did surrendering their lives to Jesus change them and how they lived? And we're going to pay particular attention to how the Holy Spirit worked with them and helped them in that process. Because God's plan has always been that when Jesus comes and the Holy Spirit comes, the kingdom of God is supposed to come with them. So to get us focused on moving this morning, would you stand with me, please, in honor of the Word of God as you're able to do that. We're going to read Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. And by the way, throughout the course of, of this series, you might want to just read through the book of Acts over and over and over again. I think you will find it uh, uh, encouraging and, and, and read it as an illustration of who God's called us to be, you to be, me to be, as we walk in His kingdom. But today, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, I'll read the plain text if you'll join me in reading the... Highlighted portions, we'll walk through this passage together. Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 8, this is what the Bible says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Praise the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, and you may be seated. So school has started back in full force. I don't know if you've noticed that yet or not. My head is still reeling. I know it's got to be hard for the kids. It's hard for me, and I'm not even in school. Uh, My kids are already hip-deep in homework and studying and tests, and to my absolute unrelenting chagrin, a week and a half ago, Benjamin announced his first group project of the year. I don't know about you, but I hate group projects and I hate them more as a parent than I hated them as a student. And apparently lots of people agree with me on this subject. I just kind of ran through the internet a little bit this week. and I'll see if you identify with any of these memes. Am I the only one in this group who actually cares? Uh, 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 I don't know if you felt like that. How about this? Not sure if actually in group project, or if doing solo project with a bunch of non-participating people. Or how about this, from the most interesting man in the world. I don't always do group projects, but when I do, I end up doing 90% of the work. My favorite meme, though, uh, this week as I, as I was looking at uh, this online was this one. It says, when I die, I want, people, I want the people I did group projects with to lower me into my grave so they can let me down one last time. <laughs> I don't know if if you identify with any of that, uh, uh, having your own experiences with group project. For me as a parent, i got to tell you, my biggest beef with group projects is that so much of the work has to be done outside of class, which leaves parents like Melissa and I having to find some way to reconcile the convoluted schedules of half a dozen overbooked adolescents. And then for several times over the course of the next several weeks, one of us has to drive somewhere Uh, and and stay while they do their thing, or even worse, drive out, drop off, drive home, wait, drive back, pick up, drive back home. I've got kids in four different homeschool programs. I still don't even know where all my children are. Uh, Anybody here remember the good old days when uh, uh, the hardest thing you had to deal with was getting your child ready for show and tell? Anybody remember the good days? You're rushing out the door. You're five minutes behind schedule, and your little angel looks up and said, Oh, I've got show and tell today. Anybody uh, uh, recognize that? Immediately you think back to our Kingdom Living Series, and you think, I must not use the name of the Lord my God in vain. <laughs> you think back to the Kingdom Living Series. You think, I must not murder. And, and then you take a moment, and, and you marvel at, at the incredible applicable, ap- applicability. Is that a word? There's a word in there somewhere. Uh, A practicality, that's the word I'm looking for. had nothing to do with the word I was butchering, uh, of the word of God. And then suddenly, you remember, you're now seven minutes behind schedule. So you reach down, you grab a handful of rocks out of the driveway, you put them in your child's hand, you shove them in the car. The whole way you're driving to the school, you're trying to convince your child that rocks are really cool. You know, there are all different kinds of rocks. You can use rocks to build things and roads and buildings. The child's crying because I don't want to talk about rocks. Anybody? Am I the only parent in the room? Anyway, he gets there, he makes the presentation, the teacher gives him a smiley face sticker, all's well that ends well. Remember when life was simple like that? I bring that up for this reason, and I really want you to listen to this, because the truth of the matter is this. Listen, God's plan for you is really pretty simple. God's plan for you is really staggeringly simple. God wants you to love Him, and love people God wants you to bring his kingdom into the world he wants you to advance his kingdom in the world and he wants you to do that fundamentally through show and tell God wants you to show and tell people who he is and what he's like what he's done in general what he's done for you in particular God wants you to share your God stories To tell people what God's done for you and how much you love Him because of it. What God's done in you, how He's changed you, and how much you love Him for it. God wants you to show and tell the people around you how He's changed your life and why He's awesome. As we walk through the first several chapters of Acts over the next several weeks, I also want you to notice how much... The book of Acts is really all about Christian show and tell. I also want you to notice how much the Holy Spirit is involved in the Christian show and tell process. How much He wants to help you show and tell Jesus in the world. In many ways, the Holy Spirit is like that parent, putting things in your hands and then letting you know what to say about them. That's His role in helping you with your role. In kingdom show and tell. Now the official name of the book of Acts, the official title is the Acts of the Apostles, the deeds of the apostles, the things the apostles did. You need to know that title was not a part of the original writing of the Bible. It was added maybe two centuries later. Uh, and, And to be honest with you, I don't think it's a particularly good title. I think a far better title for the book of Acts would be something like The Ongoing Acts of Jesus Christ. Uh, following his ascension as he continues to work through his followers. It's kind of a long title, but, but, but it captures the essence of the book of Acts. Luke explains it in the very first sentence of this book. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, he's referring back to the gospel of Luke, the other, other book he'd written. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And I want you to notice the word began. Jesus began his ministry of doing and teaching. Essentially his ministry of show and tell. He began his ministry of revealing and demonstrating the kingdom of God while he was walking among us on the earth. But he's not finished with that ministry yet. That's why Luke wrote the second volume, the the New Testament book of Acts, to tell of the ongoing work of Jesus since his ascension back to heaven, as Jesus continues to do and tell through his people in the church, as Jesus continues to show and tell the love of God, the goodness of God, the greatness of God, the presence of God by how you and I live and act and work and and do. It's still the work of God through Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit And it's meant to carry on till Jesus comes back to earth again. At which point he will personally usher in the final manifestation of the kingdom of God in all its fullness. When the devil and his demons are judged and removed. When all those who have refused to follow Jesus, who have rejected him as Savior and Lord are dealt with. When those who have loved and followed Jesus are changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye. When sin and death and suffering are banished, and people, the people of God, are invited to live in the unveiled glory of God forever, the Bible is clear that day is coming. But until that day arrives, you and I, as followers of Jesus, are to carry on the work of Jesus, just like those very first Christians, doing and teaching the kingdom of God in a glorious kingdom, show and tell. And in the meantime, God's given us the book of Acts as essentially a book of show and tell to give you an idea of what it looks like when followers of Jesus carry on the work of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now just before the passage we read at the beginning of this message, Uh, and leading into that passage. The Bible says this about Jesus. It says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And if there's one thing the book of Acts makes infinitely clear, it is that the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is the focus and centerpiece of Christianity. The resurrection of Jesus dominated the thinking and the preaching of the early church. It constitutes the heart and the soul of the Christian faith. So the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. In other words, without the resurrection of Jesus, nothing else in Christianity matters. In fact, without the resurrection of Jesus, there frankly is no Christianity. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, the Apostle Paul says your faith is mataiya. It is empty, useless, pointless and worthless. Stop coming to church. Stop reading your Bible. Stop praying and fasting and tithing and all the rest of it. Stop all that stuff if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead. The rest of it has no value at all. The resurrection of Jesus is the heart and the soul of Christianity. It's the heart of our message. It's the heart of our apologetics. I want you to think for just a moment about the ramifications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If Jesus really did rise from the dead on his own terms and by his own power, first off, if Jesus has risen from the dead that way, after repeatedly saying he was going to, then Jesus is Lord and God, just as Thomas the skeptic said. The Bible tells us after Jesus' resurrection, when the other disciples began telling Thomas, we've seen Jesus, he's alive. Thomas responded to them with with the most uh, stubbornly skeptical response maybe possible. John, the apostle John, reports it this way. Now, Thomas called Didymus one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, I will not believe it. I will not believe it, Thomas said. I refuse and you can't make me. And that was Thomas's position for about a week until Jesus himself walked up to him. And seeing Jesus back from the dead, the Bible says Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. If Jesus is risen from the dead on his own terms and by his own power, then he is Lord and God and you need to follow him. Second. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then death must not be the end. Something must lie beyond this life. And this life is all you have to get ready for whatever it is. Third, if Jesus is risen from the dead, if He is indeed Lord and God, then there's nothing He can't handle. There's nothing He can't take care of. There's nothing too difficult for Him. Fourth. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then whatever Jesus says about anything must be the final word on the subject. In other words, the issue is not, what do you think about the Bible? The issue is, what does Jesus say about the Bible? The issue is not, what do you think about divorce or same-sex marriage or paying taxes forgiving your roommate. The issue is, what does Jesus say about those things? Too often Christians bog down and uh, side issues or get lost on rabbit trails instead of starting with and focusing on the resurrected living Lord Jesus, who He is and what He says. Because as the resurrected Lord, what He says, is final. There are people in the world who want to honor the teachings of Jesus while denying the resurrection of Jesus. Those people do not understand and frankly haven't paid much attention to the teachings of Jesus. Listen, without the resurrected Christ living inside you, shaping and changing you by His Spirit, you cannot live the sort of life Jesus calls you to live. The life Jesus taught about in His Sermon on the Mount. The life Jesus modeled day after day. That kind of life is only possible through Jesus Himself. As He shares His life with you. Through His Spirit working in you. Listen to me. Jesus never imagined a world. Listen to me. Jesus never imagined a world where you take His teachings and through grit and determination to run out there and try to do them. Jesus didn't call you to that. Jesus hasn't called you to try harder. Jesus has called you to follow Him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that brings us back to the passage we started with at the beginning of this message a few minutes ago. After Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible's clear. He appeared to a bunch of different people, a bunch of different places, bunch of different times. And the Bible says in Acts 1 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to make sure you get the backdrop for Jesus saying this. I want to make sure you understand the context into which Jesus spoke these words. Because not that many days earlier, the disciples of Jesus, this group of loyal followers who had known Jesus and loved Jesus, who believed Jesus to be the Jewish Messiah and had completely turned, rearranged their entire lives in order to follow Him and serve Him and learn from Him. This group of disciples, just a few days before Jesus said this, had watched as Roman soldiers arrested Jesus hauled him away, and brutally beat him from head to toe. Then they watched as those same Roman soldiers nailed him to a cross and hung him there till he died. All of which, without a doubt, was the most horrifying, life-crushing experience any of them had ever had or imagined. In an instant, everything changed in their lives and all of their hopes and all of their dreams were completely decimated right alongside this incredible man they had loved so deeply and followed so faithfully and then less than three full days later everything changed instantly again Rumors of Jesus' resurrection began to fly all around them, followed quickly by the unthinkable as Jesus himself began to make appearances. He talked with them and ate with them and let them touch him. Jesus had risen from the dead. He was, in fact, who he said he was. Master over life and death. Lord over everything. And they, they were his dearly special chosen disciples, as you might well imagine, they were itching to go and tell somebody, to get out there and tell the world, you were wrong, we were right, he's alive, he's back from the dead, we're following a king who can't stay dead, and I'm pretty sure he's coming after you, you're in a lot of trouble. And if you don't think that's what they were thinking, look at the text again, because I promise you that's exactly what they had in mind. When they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? These guys were jacked. They were stoked. They were driven full of adrenaline because they assumed Jesus was about to lead them in a military coup against the Roman Empire. And they were ready to get after it. Jesus had to set them straight. The kingdom of God is not fundamentally a military kingdom. The kingdom of God is not fundamentally an earthly geopolitical kingdom. And the work God has for you to do cannot be done in your own power. These guys were stoked. Jesus was risen from the dead. Everything had changed twice in about three and a half days. And frankly, to be fair, Jesus was ready to put them to work proclaiming and producing the kingdom of God, declaring and demonstrating the goodness of God, bringing the hope of salvation to a lost and hurting world. They were excited and ready to go. Jesus was excited and ready to send them. And yet, into all of that excitement and all of that eagerness, Jesus says, wait. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water... But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And here's one of the fundamental lessons you'll learn from the book of Acts. I encourage you to consider writing it down. You want to write it? Here it is. You cannot accomplish the work of Jesus in your own power, and you were never meant to try. You cannot accomplish the work of Jesus in your own power, and you were never meant to try. Jesus has a work for you to do, but you can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he warns his disciples, don't run off half-cocked, wait on the Holy Spirit. It was a word from Jesus to his disciples back then, it's a word from Jesus to his disciples today. Wait on the Holy Spirit, listen for the Holy Spirit, be a people of the Spirit, Filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's where you receive power to be an effective witness for Jesus. You will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, say will be. You will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. God has a plan and a purpose for your life right here in this world. Think about it. If God didn't have a plan for you in this world, then the second you were born again, He could have sucked you straight to heaven. The moment you confess Jesus, Lord, the moment you came out of the waters of baptism, as soon as you confess Jesus, if God didn't have a plan for you here, he should have probably taken you straight to heaven if he didn't have a plan for you in this world. But listen to me very carefully. Jesus did not die to get you to heaven. Jesus did not die to get you to heaven. Jesus died to get you to God. And there's a world of difference between the two. Jesus died and rose again to restore you to God and to the purpose and plan of God for your life. The evangelical church has presented salvation as if it's pretty much all about you. Can I tell you the Bible presents salvation as if it's pretty much all about God? The psalmist puts it this way, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who has made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. God made you for himself. God made you for his glory and his pleasure and his purpose and his plan. You exist for God. Now, because he's good and because he loves you, you don't have to be afraid of that. But it's the truth. God has a purpose and a plan for you right here in this world. And that purpose in a nutshell, listen, the purpose of God for your life in a nutshell is not that you become an architect. The purpose of God for your life in a nutshell is not that you start your own accounting firm. The purpose of God for your life in a nutshell is not that you marry so-and-so or go to this school or live in that city. The purpose of God for your life in a nutshell is that you be a witness for Jesus everywhere you are, every moment of every day of your life. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. The purpose of God for your life in a nutshell is that you be a witness for Jesus, that you bear witness to the goodness of God, that you bear witness to the glory of God, that you show and tell the world who Jesus is and what he's done, whether you're an architect or an accountant or a stay-at-home mom, none none of those things are preeminent. Your role as a witness is preeminent. Your occupation is not entirely preeminent. In fact, it's not even remotely preeminent. Most of you will change jobs several times. Your your position as a witness for Jesus is preeminent. He wants you to show and tell who He is in the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. I want you to notice Jesus declares you'll receive power not to do something you've never done, Jesus says you will receive power to be something you've never been. When you give your life to Jesus and the Spirit of God comes on you, he comes less to empower you for action than he comes to empower you for existence. In other words, Jesus doesn't just empower, the Holy Spirit doesn't just empower you to go witnessing, the Holy Spirit empowers you to be a witness to be what you were created to be, to be what God designed you to be, to live moment by moment, day in and day out, wherever you are, whatever you're doing as a dearly loved child of the living God made in the image and likeness of God who looks and loves and lives like God wherever you are all the time. Jesus says, when the Spirit of God comes on you, you'll receive divine power to represent me in the world. God's plan for you has not changed since the very beginning of the world. It is the same plan He had in the Garden of Eden. You were always designed to know and love and live like God and to represent Him in the world. To bring His kingdom righteousness and peace and joy to the world. And when your sin and brokenness got in the way, Jesus came to deal with those to pay the penalty for your sin, and to heal you from your brokenness. The liturgists have taught us to declare Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. I want to teach you this morning to declare, Christ has come for me. The Spirit has come in me. So the kingdom of God can come through me. Will you say that with me? Christ has come for me. The Spirit has come to me so the kingdom of God may come through me. Jesus is the risen Lord. And He has a purpose for your life right here in this world, right where you live, right where you work, right where you shop, right where you play. His purpose is that you be a witness for Him no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Christ has come for you. The Spirit has come to you that the kingdom of God might come through you Jesus is the risen Lord give your sins to him he will gladly take them and throw them away give your hurts and your wounds and your brokenness to him he will gladly take them and heal and restore you Receive Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then commit to live every moment of your life as a glorious kingdom show and tell. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never confessed Jesus as Savior and Lord, you would say, you would say Pastor I'm pretty sure I'm not a Christian. You can take care of that before you leave, and I would beg you to do so. Because all this, the whole thing starts right there with confessing Jesus as Savior and Lord, receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord, committing yourself to follow Him and letting Him change you from the inside out. And in a few minutes, we'll give you a chance to pray with some people to let that happen today. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but the truth is you haven't been in show and tell for quite a while, you've been sidelined by sin or brokenness. I want to beg you. You can fix that this morning. Give your sin to Jesus. He'll take it and get rid of it. Give your brokenness to Jesus. Stop staying in hurt and pain and, and, and woundedness and brokenness. Give it to Jesus. Let Him heal you. And then get busy and show and tell. Because God has a purpose for your life. If you're here this morning, I want to say this. If you're here this morning and you are sick in your body, In a few minutes, we're going to have a group of people over here who are going to pray, and the Spirit of God is there. The Spirit of God is in them. And if you're here this morning and you are sick in your body, I want to encourage you to let them lay their hands on you and ask the Spirit of God to heal you. Because Jesus wants us to do the works of Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ain't nobody in this room able to lay hands on you and make you better except for Jesus who happens to be in the room. I want to encourage you. Jesus has come for you. He wants to send his spirit to you because he wants to bring his kingdom through you. This is the show and tell plan of God for your life. I pray we walk in it in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you as always for the power and clarity of your word. Lord, uh, we thank you for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We thank you that that you've not just kind of left us to figure this stuff out and to pull it off in our own strength. You have left us here because you have a purpose for us here. And you've sent your spirit to empower us for that purpose. Lord, may we spend our lives simply showing and telling the goodness of God in Jesus. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever our job, whatever our situation, may we engage in kingdom show and tell. And may you be glorified and may people be blessed and helped by it. In Jesus' name, amen.